Hey, Chris from the Mighty Decibel here. Welcome back. So the month of August 2022 contains five Mondays, which means that we here at the Mighty Decibel can slide in another discography review segment into our schedule, this being the 17th in our series. This episode, we focus in on the discography of Canada's Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush, a unit that was perennial backup band for the stars in the 70s, including Ted Nugent, Aerosmith, and ACDC. So as usual, we'll attack this chronologically, going through each studio recording, providing critical analysis for each, along with a soundbite so that you can further understand the change in sound as the discography progresses. But before we proceed, a word of caution here. This analysis is from the viewpoint of a hard rocker metalhead. So all you hardcore Marino fans who worship the progressive jazz and funk side of the equation will likely not agree with my assessments here. So regardless, let's get into it. As in 1972, the band issued their debut album, Maxoom. So immediately the Mahogany Rush trio is in place. Guitar god and vocalist Frank Marino, bassist Paul Harwood, and drummer James Ayub. Uh, Marino is also sitting in at the producer's chair here, as well as the sole songwriter, despite only being 17 years old at the time. So right off the bat, the dedication to Jimi Hendrix on the back cover warns you what type of record this is going to be. Tons of lead guitar work expected, and tons of leads delivered. No problems there. Even at that tender age, Marino was already an amazing technician, and some of the solos here are clearly face-melting. And the other highlight would be the second side opener, All In Your Mind, a hard rock track sending a message of what would come later. Problem here is that the majority of this record sits in the light jazz, funky rock, airy blues, and soundscape territories, something that this rocker metalhead can take very little of. Uh, further, the writing lacks hooks, and Marino's vocals have yet uh, to have uh, matured fully. So there are pockets of interesting tid uh, tidbits on Maxum, but ultimately it is a record that I never visit. It's just too psychedelic, jazzy, and pure blues based for your average hard rock fan. I'd give this a five. later in 1974 out comes the sophomore child of novelty record where paul beck has been added to the group on keys not sure why because keyboard work is uh, thankfully pretty understated here so while whiffs of psychedelia and funk are still strong there's additional heft here the core of the record being hard rock based a welcome change in sound for this fan Production is still strong, locks up back and forth left ear to right ear soloing, great for headphone listening despite the age of the record. Highlights here would be the two tracks that remained in the band's set list to the end, 
the stomping psych rocker talking about a feeling and the rock and roll rave up a new rock and roll. Additionally, there's a Git War, a guitar soundscape precursor to electric reflections of war found on the live record a few years later. So unlike the debut, this is a record that adventurous hard rockers can put on the turntable and enjoy. Not close to being the band's best work, but a very welcome move towards a more rocking headspace here. I give this a 7 out of 10. goes on one year later with 1975's Strange Universe. So dead similar to Childhood Novelty in that it delves into funk rock, jazz rock, and the blues, but at the heart the record is a hard rock release. So basically it's an album for hard rockers who are open to checking out other genres too. Problem with Strange Universe though is that the writing isn't as good as the previous record. The only two A-lister tracks here uh, is another rock and roll track called Satisfy Your Soul. This one a little bit more melodic uh, than the a new rock and roll from the previous record. And the other being the concluding title track, a classic piece of epic songwriting that transports you through the clouds to a universe far away. Otherwise though, the rest of the record is pleasant enough sounding if you don't mind the psychedelic funk and jazz leanings, but just doesn't catch the imagination of this hard rock metalhead. Kind of boring, truth be told, a definite step backwards for the band. I give this a six. couple of bright and psychedelic album covers were met with the dull and rather unimpressive artwork of Mahogany Rush 4 in 1976. However, on the plastic, the beat goes ever on, the band focusing on a psychedelic brand of rock with frequent forays into funk, unwelcome to these ears, and infrequent forays into rock and roll, gimme more says I. <laughs> on platter number four, we get three tracks that can be extracted for best of purposes two perennial live staples and fan faves in Funkster's The Answer and Dragonfly, along with the lone rock and roll track Little Sexy Annie. 
Otherwise, we get a bunch of confusing songs for the average metalhead intent on using psych and funk to take the listener to places not usually visited by those who like their music hard and fast. Sure, the guitar work is godly, but man, it's hard to sit through a whole record of this type of action. The payoff just isn't there. Another 6 out of 10 on my scorecard. with World Anthem a year later in 1977, the album Mark getting back to previous highs, eschewing the bland colors and image of Mahogany Rush 4. So this record represents the band's first big step forward to these years. While there still are some psych references, World Anthem is the first record that you could easily classify as a rock album rather than a psych rock record. Of the eight tracks offered, fully five are worthy of extraction, leaving only three as throwaway including the utterly atrocious jazz dud Look At Me, along with a less egregious mid-tempo funk rocker. Highlights here include the title track, Instrumental, which is an actually uh, an attempt at creating a world anthem, an uplifting track that is one of the band's best creations of the whole discography. Additionally, there's In My Ways, a smooth, introspective rocker that is an underrated Mahogany Rush classic along with the epic closer Cry for Freedom, a psych rocker that retains your attention despite its 11-minute length. So the band are clearly on the right track here, but sales continue to elude the band, actually being the worst placement on the U.S. charts at 184, their previous high being number 74 with Child of Novelty. Uh, Regardless, I give this a 7.5. popularity of live albums at the time, Mahogany Rush joined the parade by releasing their own live record in 1978 and quickly became the band's best-selling release up to that point. At that time, the band was often opener to the heavy units uh, like Nugent, Aerosmith, and ACDC, as I mentioned before, so their live shows leaned toward the heavier audience, which was captured perfectly on live. 
Hence, this is the perfect launching point for hard rockers who don't want to sift through the early, early era studio albums. So the following year, in 1979, Mahogany Rush released Tales of the Unexpected. Side one being new studio tracks, all leaning in psych rock territory, but just so happens to be amongst their best songs to that point. An amazing side of expansive Mahogany Rush with Marino's best guitar work to that point. The side includes covers of Dylan's All Along the Watchtower and the Beatles' Norwegian Wood. However, the highlight, though, has to be the title track, uh, Closer, an epic instrumental journey to the stars. On to side two, and we get four live tracks served hot and heavy, the band and management obviously noting the sales of the previous live album. The two highlight songs here are the side uh, opener, Down, 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 and Closer, Bottom of the Barrel, both balls-out rock and rollers with Blitzkrieg guitar work. So all in all, Tales of the Unexpected was the perfect balance of psychedelic and outright hard rock, easily the band's best work to that point, so much so that I rank this as a perfect 10 out of 10, although I am most likely a contrarian on this point. into the golden era of Mahogany Rush Records for hard rock enthusiasts, a three-album run that represents one of the greatest consecutive streaks in hard rock history, in my humble opinion. With 1980's What's Next gone are psychedelic and jazz influences, the band instead focused solely on hard rock with the odd foray into heavy blues. Further, Marino is clearly on fire as guitar work otherworldly on this record. Personally, I love every single second of the record, but highlights would have to include the two guitargasm tracks in opener You Got Livin' and Something's Coming Our Way, the latter housing one of the greatest extended guitar solos of all time, worth the price of admission alone. Additionally, there's Finish Line, one of the band's catchiest ditties, and the concluding tandem of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Mona. The bottom line here is that What's Next is the album hard rock fans had been drooling for for years. Excellent songwriting, out of this world guitar soloing, and the fine vocals of Marino all coalesce here to perfection. Not surprisingly, the band was rewarded with its best US chart placement moving up to number 88. A perfect 10 out of 10 on our scorecard. Uh, as a side note, Marino's brother Vince joins the crew here providing rhythm guitar support.
remember picking up the band's next album, The Power of Rock and Roll, one year later in 1981, hoping that it was going to be as good as What's Next. Over time, I'd have to say that The Power of Rock and Roll has elevated to being my fave Mahogany Rush platter of the whole discography, just slightly ahead of What's Next. So what makes this the standout record? It's threefold. One, the sound here has been hardened even further than on What's Next, being clearly a hard rock record. Two, the songwriting is A1 throughout. And three, maybe most importantly, this houses Marino's finest guitar work. And that's saying a lot, given that I consider the man to be the greatest guitarist of all time. Again, highlights here are hard to select given its consistency, but I'd pick Running Wild, Go Strange, and Ain't Dead Yet, the three longest tracks where Marino simply goes off into the stratosphere, reaching and surpassing Hendrix, in my opinion. Then there's another catchy track in Crazy Miss Daisy, and the statement-making title track opener, which seems to uh, to state, I ain't fucking around this time. So this is a must-have for hard rockers invested in extended lead guitar forays. As a side note, this and the following records were issued as Frank Marino's solo albums, but have since been reissued under the Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush moniker. This is a perfect 10 out of 10. Mahogany Rush return with Juggernaut. The first warning that this record would be different from the last platter is the inclusion of Greg Nichols on keyboards, something a hard rock fan dreads, especially at that time. Luckily, though, the keys are kept in the background, except on opener Strange Dreams. That said, Juggernaut is definitely a step back in violence and velocity as compared to What's Next and The Power of Rock and Roll. It's still a hard rock album, but overall it doesn't kick as much ass. Uh, Ditch Queen, Free, and the title track being the only ones that uh, could fit on the last record. Instead, uh, the band busied themselves with creating more commercially appealing tracks, including Stories of a Hero, an eight-minute rock ballad, and the opening synth-heavy psych rocker Strange Dreams. Luckily, though, most of the material is upper-shelf stuff, so a hard rocker's disappointment in the change of tack is offset by the strength of the songwriting. The inclusion of two good but not great tracks brings the record down to a 9 out of 10 on my scorecard, so a slight step down in quality compared to the previous three records. Many Mahogany Rush fans would likely disagree with me though. So side note, uh, despite the relatively more commercial approach taken here, the album stalled at number 185 on the US charts for some unknown reason. Moving, ever moving, crushing. 
A four-year break before 1986's Full Circle is issued, unfortunately finding the band delving even further into commercial waters. Keyboards are featured more often, the production is lighter, and the writing less aggressive overall. That said, the opening two tracks are strong, despite seemingly being aired for radio play. Breaking Away proves to be a catchy opener, housing a great guitar solo, while the follow-up Imagine goes into classic rock mode, memorable nonetheless. The other highlight track in the package comes later in proceedings as Had Enough finds Marino in guitar hero mode for four of its five-minute existence, the initial funk rock premise being nothing to write home about, though. So that's 15 minutes of worthwhile material, while the other seven tracks, 37 minutes, range from average to intolerable. Worst offenders being the 80s keyboard schlep of long ago and the overlong, overwrought 11-minute title track, a, pro- a prog rock booger best left forgotten. So an album with a few peaks and way too many valleys, the band losing the aggressive stance of the superior last four albums. This represents the beginning of the final era of the band that hard rockers and metalheads will find less than satisfying. It just so happens to overlap with the band's decline in popularity and concert experiences. I give this a 5 out of 10. four-year period before the next album is released in the form of From the Hip in 1990. The good news first, there's less keyboards on this one, a marked improvement alone from the last release. Additionally, this doesn't seem to be aimed for commercial appear, unlike the previous record. This one's coming across as the band just playing what came out naturally. The highlighted tracks here, the slightly funky and psychedelic opener Babylon Revisited, containing Marino's best lead guitar work, the hard-rocking Ride My Own Wave, and the relatively aggressive I'm Ready. On the other hand, the same problem is on the Full Circle record, a ton of tracks that I hope to never hear again. Overall, the album's still too laid back for those who prefer their Mahogany Rush aggressive, so again, you can extract some 15 minutes and throw away the other 35. That said, I still enjoyed this one more than Full Circle given its less commercial overtones. I give this a 5.5.
now proceed a full 10 years to 2000 for what would be Mahogany Rush's final album, Eye of the Storm. So Marino really embraces the bong on this one, the record being clearly focused on psychedelic soundscapes. There's still some funk and copious amounts of guitar shredding, but overall the song structures are based on mind-altering expositions to spaces unknown. So yeah, the very foundation of this record just doesn't appeal to this metalhead. I just long for the return to the early 80s hard rock focus material. The other major problem with Eye of the Storm is its length. Extending to 72 minutes, it's clearly too long, challenging people's attention spans. The four tracks elongated to close to or over 10 minutes contain some good guitar soloing from the master, but the main premise of each just isn't solid enough to support its length. Listening to these extended pieces, I found myself drifting off, wishing that some other idea will be presented. Far too much psych and not enough hard rock in its, its foundation, I guess. That said, it does contain some of Marino's best lead guitar work since his heyday, but it is a chore to get to them, unfortunately. Another 5.5 out of 10 on my scorecard. Unfortunately, the Mahogany Rush recording legacy ends on a sour note with three forgettable releases. As in two, uh, 2021, Marino announced his retirement from touring due to debilitating health issues. So when I reflect on Mahogany Rush, I think of masterful guitar genius, inconsistent eras of records, and a sense of what if had the band continued with a more concerted hard rock stance over its last two decades. So there you have it, the Mighty Decibels review of the Mahogany Rush discography. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Remember to check in every Monday for our new release Mondays. Tuesdays we have our In 40 Minutes curated playlist. Wednesdays we have our uh, album or record reviews. And Thursdays we have our best of top tens, that sort of thing. And you know where you can find it at www.themightydecibel.com. Have a great one, eh?